Hello, folks. You are listening to The Infamous, a new true crime podcast here on Slam Radio, really covering anything from cold murders, from serial killers, from back away in the day, to anything in between on that spectrum. Here only on Slam Radio, Sirius XM, channel 145. Hello, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Infamous with your host, Nicole Martinez, here on Slam Radio, Sirius XM, channel 145. And for today's episode of The Infamous, we will be talking about Edmund Kemper. He's a serial killer. And a lot that he... His whole story in general is very interesting to me. So to kick it all off, we're going to be talking about his early life, his childhood. So, to start off, Kemper was born on the 18th of December of 1948 in Burbank, California. He is the middle child of Clarnell Stage, his mother, and Edmund Emil Kemper II. So, in 1957... His parents divorce, and he moves in with his mother and his two sisters to Montana. Here's something that's very tragic about um, Edmund Kemper's story, is that he has a very, very terrible relationship with his mother. When looking at a lot of research, some of them will just blatantly name it mommy issues, which is very disheartening and sort of, I, I think, minimizes extent of what happened but you know it is what it is but to further explain the the gravity of it his uh his alcoholic mother was incredibly critical of everything that he would do she would consistently blame a lot of her own issues and put it on him and essentially she would physically and emotionally abuse him in all the capacities that she would do, one of the main things that people note is that she would essentially lock her son in the basement alone at night. And then at some point, she basically made the basement his domain and forced him to live in the basement. And the main reason that she would do this was because she sort of feared that he would do something to harm his his uh, his sisters. She, she did it as a precaution to ensure that he wouldn't hurt his sisters. That was a main cause of concern for his mother. And a big reason why was because he would he fancied incredibly disturbing games. Incredibly disturbing games. Some of these games would include uh, one that was called uh, Electric Chair and another that was called Gas Chamber. So essentially, he would have his sisters strap him up to a chair and they would flip an imaginary execution switch. So sometimes he would rather in pain in the chair, pretending to die from either electric shock or from toxic gas inhalation. And so he would coerce them to do this because a method he would use was he would cut off the heads of his sister's dolls and he would amputate them and he would enjoy doing all of these things and that would essentially coerce his sisters to play with him because he continuously well play with him in very light quotations this was incredibly disturbing and incredibly traumatic you can only imagine and he's spoken when it comes to interviews that he a lot of his trouble began very early because not only did he indulge in these very twisted, dark games and he would 
torment his sisters in these ways where he would cut off the dolls' heads and sort of make his mother feel as if he was unsafe to be around his sisters. Uh, he also has admitted to having a very dark fantasy life when he was a child. And he would daydream about killing his mother and just essentially incredibly violent behavior. And he began doing this very young and he would even uh, talk with a school counselor during junior high and high school because they called him a chronic daydreamer but the thing is nobody really knew what he was daydreaming about because they weren't really asking him the questions to figure out what he was daydreaming they rarely asked him any questions that would actually focus in depth about what he was daydreaming about and the actual elaboration of how far it went into it and the reason why they actually sort of began like oh wait this kid's actually like dozing off what are you doing why is he like daydreaming like this because he started to exhibit violent behavior it's only because of the violent behavior that's mocking essentially what he was thinking of inside of his head was when people were like wait a minute let's see what's happening and even then they didn't do it enough they, they didn't do it well enough because you still see that it didn't end up the way that it it, it should have if if there was help or if there was more precaution or if there was other steps to have been done, the whole question is, it's, it's the big what if. Changing gears a bit, I do want to say, I have not mentioned this yet, but I'm going to now. Edmund Kemper is incredibly intelligent. He's incredibly intelligent. He has an IQ of 145 and he is incredibly intelligent. Do not let anything else fool you in this because in the la later segments of this of this episode of The Infamous, you will see exactly why I'm saying that he's incredibly intelligent and you should not let that fool you. I'm just saying. But continuing. <laughs> continuing. Uh, he He also does very violent acts towards animals, which is something that is often... Very usual whenever you do see it happen with with serial killers. That's just, very, it's, it's very tragic, but it's, it's very usual. So what he would do is that he began to experiment with animal cruelty incredibly early in his life. It's just, that's just how it went. Um, and he, in fact, he buried his family cat alive later dug it up to then decapitate it to then put its head on a stake and then when kemper was 13 years old he killed his own pet cat again with a machete and he hid its remains in his closet which is when his mother later then found out he would continuously do this which again is, is something that you see quite often when it comes to serial killers that there's always something with animals and animal remains that's just always what it was it's you always see that it's it is sad but that's just sort of how how it goes so essentially his first victims recorded are the family cats because i didn't mention the age for when he buried and then later on decapitated the cat but when he buried the cat alive he was 10 and then he later on decapitated it and put his head on a stake and then again when he was 13 he killed it with a machete and that in itself is 
rough to imagine. Later on in his life, he went to live with his father for some time, but ended up back with his mother because his father did reject him. And so, at some point, he went to live off with grandma and grandpa, his paternal grandparents, that lived in North Fork, California. So he goes back to California for some time. And uh, to say this, Kemper absolutely hated living with his grandparents. He just, he, he couldn't stand it. And a big portion of it was that it was always with his grandmother. So if you really want to see a, a big sort of interesting aspect of Edmund Kemper is it's always, it's a lot with the women in his life that have sort of caused this for him to release this like anger and and pain in a very interesting way, I guess you could say. So essentially, it was always with his domineering grandmother that she would emasculate him and it would emasculate his grandfather and that you couldn't please this woman. It was like being in jail. Like that's essentially how in in a very quick synopsis, how he would always describe his grandmother. That she was just a very domineering, upsetting, unpleasant woman. And so, he had already started using firearms at a young age because his grandfather got a rifle and he would use it like to shoot birds and other animals. And with that, his grandparents took away the rifle because he was killing these small birds and these small animals. And they didn't want that to happen. They're like, you don't need to kill these things. So, because of that, later on, firearm gets taken away. And then, when he's 15 years old, on August 27th of 1964, all of the built-up and pent-up rage that Eden Kemper was holding for his grandparents he decided to shoot his grandmother in the kitchen after an argument and the only reason why he decides to kill his grandfather when his grandfather returns home was because he didn't want his grandfather to see his wife murdered however he murdered his grandmother to see what it felt like So you're seeing a very interesting um, dynamic here. So he shot his grandmother in the kitchen after an argument just to see what it felt like. But he goes outside and then shoots his grandfather by his car to then hide the body just to make sure that his grandfather didn't walk in on his wife murdered. Interesting enough. He then calls his mom and his mom tells, tells him to call the police and essentially tells him stay where you are like the police are like call him let him know like you cannot you cannot so at that point when he's 15 years old in 1964 Kemper was then handed over to the California Youth Authority and as I mentioned before Edmund Kemper has a very high IQ This is when they realize that he has a high IQ because of the fact that he underwent a variety of tests, an array of tests under every shade and spectrum of the sun, essentially to figure out what 
how or like how to treat him essentially like what is the main issue how can we treat him and where is this coming from so that's what they were sort of doing so they were just trying to figure everything out for him and so with the variety of tests they won as i mentioned like previous previously a couple times he has an incredibly high iq he also suffers from paranoid schizophrenia and so with that he was sent to atascadero state hospital which is a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. At 15 years old, he was sent to a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. In 1969, however, Kemper was released at the age of 21, and his doctors were consistently telling him, do not return with your mom, do not go back to your mother, do not live with your mother, do not go back and put yourself in that exact same abusive and psychological torment environment that you'd be putting yourself in if you go back to live and be in that same environment with your mother. He does not listen, and he joins her back in Santa Cruz, California. She ended up moving there after her third marriage, and she took a job at the University of California. So, Kemper there then attended some community college. He worked a handful of jobs and then eventually he figured out he 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 figured out that he he worked well in the department of transportation in 1971 so here's a big part of edmund kemper that i have completely chosen to not tell you yet he's a big dude he is a big man okay he weighed around 300 pounds and was six foot nine Six foot nine. He's a big guy. So not only is he a big guy, but he's a smart big guy. That's terrifying. So he worked for the Department of Transportation in 1971. Yes. But the thing is, Kemper really wanted to be a state trooper. He so badly wanted to be a straight trooper, state trooper. But as I mentioned before, he's a very big guy. He was rejected because of his size. However... He still became very good friends with a lot of Santa Cruz police officers. This is very important. This is incredibly important. They nicknamed him Big Ed, and that's just how it went. He was Big Ed. He knew all the officers. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody loved Ed. Everybody loved him. Everybody knew him. And this is important that I'm bringing this up now. Nearing the ending of this segment. How, how tragic. Nearing the ending of this, primarily because he buddy he becomes buddy buddy with all these cops. Everybody knows him. Everybody, all, all the police officers love Big Ed. He's a sweet guy. He's 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 smart. He's witty. You know he's he's able to hang around the crowd, and everybody knows him. And and he sort of knows what's happening too because he listens and he enjoys it. He's a smart guy. He's able to adapt, right? So when the murders actually happen that make the co-ed killer the co-ed killer. He already sort of knows what they're all, like, thinking and what they're looking for. Because he is the killer, and he's friends with them. Yes. It's... It is... It, it's it's a smart play on his on his behalf, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. I, I wouldn't... I, I don't know. It's But it's definitely interesting. It's incredibly interesting. When we do come back here on The Infamous, we'll be talking more in-depth... We're talking more in-depth 
about how Edmund Kemper became the co-ed killer here on the infamous on Slam Radio, Series XM, Channel 45. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. Slam Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 145. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information, report the call at oig.ssa.gov. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no, that's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison, why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm constantly failing, guys. I'm constantly learning. It's not how you fall, it's how you get back up. There's no losing, only learning. There's no failure, only opportunities. And there's no problems, only solutions. So to me, what failure is, failure is the mother of all success. But I really get motivated when people tell me it'll never happen. That, that to me is what makes me get up in the morning and go, what's next? I love people to tell me no. I love people to tell me don't, it won't, impossible. And uh, the word can't is the word can. And the word don't is the word do. And the word won't is the word one. And in the word impossible, it's possible. What do you tell them? You tell them, you know, you know that, that all they can do is learn and come back bigger, better, stronger, because all it's going to do is lead you in the right direction. See, if you're always winning, then you don't really understand what it is to win. You, you got to take those losses. You got to take those hits. There's got to be the valleys, the peaks, the ups, the downs. In order for you to, when it does happen, you go, wow, you know, this is what it's all about. On behalf of all of us here at Slam Radio, we would like to thank you, Pitbull, for making this dream become a reality. Good morning, amigo. So that Never one makes a little more sense. Backwards, not even to get... How do you even, like... Well, hold on. That might be actually difficult to... Para atrás ni para coger impulso. Don't even go back a step, to, even if it's just to go forward. It seems Always like it's a long forward. explanation. Yeah, it's hard it to... It seems like you have to write... It sounds like two, 250 words. Explain this sentence. That phrase needs an instruction manual. <laughs> Morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 
To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. Slam Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 145. Welcome back here to the infamous here on Slam Radio Sirius XM Channel 145 with your host, Nicole Martinez. So, for the first segment of today's episode, I strictly was really calling Kemper by his name as Edmund Kemper because that's what he was known as for his early childhood life. For his early life in general, that's what he was known as. It was just Ed Kemper or Edmund Kemper or just Kemper in general. So that's what I was really referring to him as. However, at the ending of last segment, I did sort of give out the the hint of what his nickname is. So, Edmund Kemper is well known by the nickname the Co-Ed Killer. And this is primarily because most of the victims, most of his victims, were females in, in college. So it was just young female students that he primarily targeted. And I will say, as a trigger, primarily, that a lot of his murders include necrophilia, rape, and cannibalism. And they're also just gruesome murders. Now, I will try my, my, my very hardest to make this sound as clean while still being grim, because those are just the words that are going to be used, essentially. I will do my very best to make sure that everything is worded appropriately enough for everybody because I can understand some of these things are very gruesome. I completely understand, but it just, it is what it's, it's the information that I'm relaying to you. So I want to make sure that it's able to be metabolized well enough. So therefore I'm just letting this be known. Now I'm trying my very hardest for this whenever it does come to properly explaining in depth a lot of these murders. To completely start off on this segment, however, now. On May 7th of 1972, less than six months of his relief from the Atascadero State Hospital, Kemper murdered Anita Mary Lucesa and Mary Ann Pess. So these are two 18-year-old college students that he picked up as hitchhikers. So what he did was that he drove these two up to an isolated area where he then proceeded to stab and strangle these girls. With that, he took their corpses home where he engaged in some extremely disturbing post-mortem rituals, as some will say. And essentially what that means is that he decapitated these young women and then proceeded to use their severed heads to perform oral sex on himself. That's 
going to be a recurring theme. Just just letting you know. Just in case, just letting you know it's going to be a recurring theme. Uh, so with that, months later, in September, the 14th of September, he then offered to drive home 15-year-old Aikiko to a dance class. So, again, instead of taking the teenager to her destination... He threatened Ko with a gun and then drove her again to a remote location where he accidentally locked himself out of the car, leaving the 15-year-old inside the vehicle with his keys. But somehow, again, reminding you of Kemper's stature, he's around 300 pounds, he's 6'9", he was somehow able to get the girl to open the door, which then led to her very sad, untimely death. And then he took the body back to his house. On January 7th of 1973, he killed a fourth female hitchhiker, 18-year-old Cynthia Ann Schau. So, after he drove the college student to a secluded spot, and after he shot her to death, that's essentially where that lies. He then later on in that following month murdered Rosalind Heather Thorpe, who was 23, Alice Helen Lye, who was 20, and he shot both of them with a 22 caliber pistol. After he killed both of them, well, after he killed the young woman in general, he would wrap their dead bodies in blankets and drove through a security gate telling the guard his passengers had passed out from drinking too much. So... That's essentially a lot of the overall. Now, he dismembered a lot of his victims. In fact, when he was interviewed, they had asked him something along the lines of his thought processor, really the way that he views women. And he says that a portion of him views women very respectfully in the sense of like, oh, like when he says a pretty woman, where he's like, oh, I would love to take her on a date, I'd like to buy her dinner, I'd like to, you know, get to know her. But then there's an other side of him that is much louder and much more apparent in his brain that says, I wonder how her head would look like on a steak. So, he has this very intense fascination with dismemberment and decapitation. And you see that a lot when it comes to his victims. So I gave you the overall for the majority of his victims. Now, this is some more of the in-depth stuff. After he would kill his victims, he would bring them back to his home to then dismember their corpses. With that, he would perform grisly tasks in his bathtub, as I had mentioned previously. So, with the case of 15-year-old Aikoko, he decapitated the teenager and then put her head in the trunk of his car he intended to dispose of it in the mountains. However, on his way to discard Coe's remains, Kemper kept a scheduled appointment with a psychiatrist of his. And funnily enough, during this appointment, the doctor had then deemed Emin Kemper no longer a threat to others. And he then recommended that his juvenile record should be sealed. All while he had a severed head of 15-year-old Aikoko 
in the trunk of his vehicle. That, that is genuinely mortifying. That is just mortifying. There's no other way to describe that other than just mortifying. Something that he would also do, as I had mentioned previously, was that he regularly interacted and committed necrophilia. So, something that I had mentioned in the early life of Edmund Kemper was that when he when he was a kid and his sisters would like tease him for having a crush on one of his school teachers uh he is reported s- replying to them saying that if i kissed her i'd have to kill her first end quote that is a direct quote that is a direct reported reply and that enough just continues to provide enough of a statement for the headspace and with that it's very interesting because you see you see that he has this desired mix for death within his sexuality and when he had been interviewed and they had asked him do you think being essentially this is a paraphrase um do you think being institutionalized at a young age was bad for you and he he simply stated very honestly he's like yeah he it was he he explained saying that when he was 15 or so and he was you know in the years where teenagers are having like their sexual relations and and people are are you know during that time specifically in that era of history where people were you know more fluid and free with what they were doing he said that these teenagers were experiencing their whole sexuality in a different light, yet he was confined in a room, left alone with his already tormented and violent brain and thoughts. And he said that just being left alone like that made it worse, essentially. So you're seeing that come to life when it comes to how he actually engaged with his victims and what he would do with his victims specifically the corpses because he would go every route just to figure out like the corpses was fun for him so as i had mentioned previously anita luchesa and the mary ann pes were decapitated and then he used the severed heads to perform oral sex on himself. He also did the exact same thing to Cindy Shaw. Um, Cindy Shaw. He did the exact same thing. He decapitated her head and then used the severed head to perform oral sex on himself. He would also vaginally rape the corpses of some of his victims after killing them. And he would take nude photographs of their lifeless bodies. Keep in mind, he would bring home all of the bodies essentially he would bring them home and depending on what was more disposable to him at the time it's what he would do so again sometimes he would go to the mountains or he would want to go to the mountains to dispose of the bodies it was all really dependent on what was at his disposal at the time but he he was a frequent he he frequented raping these corpses performing oral sex on himself with these corpses, 
taking nude photographs of the lifeless bodies of these of of these poor victims so something that's very interesting about this was that he also there was also two other serial killers at the exact same time as Edmund Kemper there was Herbert Mullen and John Lindley Frazier they were essentially operating in the exact same area so while Edmund Kemper was murdering young female hitchhikers there were other there's two other operatings so because so many people were becoming abducted and were being murdered in the early 70s in Santa Cruz uh, the city had the very unfortunate dubbing of the murder murder capital of the world when it came to the press so when in october of 1970 october 19th of 1970 fraser killed a family of four and the patriarch secretary he was convicted of the murders and then was sentenced to life in prison and then from october 1972 to february 1973 mullen killed 13 people many of them were also hitchhikers but he was also uh, convinced he needed to commit murders to prevent earthquakes from happening in California. So that was his sort of thought process. Mullen was then later on arrested and then convicted of all the killings. And then he also received uh, life sentences for his crimes. So I just wanted to add in like the extra tidbit of the fact being that there were multiple other folks around Edmund Kemper at the time that were partaking in very similar routes but they all had their separate reasonings and they all did their separate independent things that were um, all interesting to say the least. So changing back the gears into the final set of murders that Edmund did commit really quickly before going into those two he murdered his grandparents. He then later on murdered six young women. And we sort of mentioned the grandparents in the early life because I it 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 was it's, it it deemed fitting. Uh, the poor six young women that um, unfortunately lost their life to this were also mentioned for this segment. But his final two victims on April 30th, 1973, took place while he was visiting his mother's home. So, Kemper said that the 52-year-old Clarnell became incredibly angry with him because of the fact that he interrupted her while she was reading a book. So, Edmund Kemper as I had mentioned in the first segment, many people, whenever they talk about Edmund Kemper and a lot of the reasoning why behind what he's done, was that they sort of label it as mommy issues. And essentially, as I mentioned previously, he had a lifetime of verbal abuse, uh, childhood physical assault, psychological abuse. It was all physical abuse. Like, it was all very intense when it came to his mother and to a lot of the matriarchs in his life a lot of the matriarchs were very domineering and harsh setting women in his eyes and essentially for some of the the actual thing settings and occasions that happened 
they they were verbally abusive they were physically abusive they were psychologically abusive so there is there is sound reasoning and there is sound um place for it uh however because of this whole pent up lifetime of just exhausted from his mother he 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 responded to her her anger by bludgeoning his mother to death with a hammer. He then cut off her head. And then as similar to what he's done with his other victims. Kemper then continued to essentially have sex with his mother's severed head. And then he cut out his mother's vocal cords and then destroyed them by forcing them down the garbage disposal so something that when he was interviewed he was asked a lot about his reasoning behind this and from what it stated it was essentially saying that his mother would always pin him to blame for never having a sex life and so he did what he did as a essentially a final hurrah or sort of a way to like impose himself over his mother to show that like he got the last laugh and that she literally couldn't laugh because he cut out and destroyed his mother's vocal cords after he killed his mom uh kemper then invited her closest friend 59 year old uh, sally harlot over for dinner he then strangled her to death shortly after she entered the house. After doing so, he then fled his mother's home and drove all up until he hit Colorado. That is all of his murders, though. That is all that he he did do. Uh, therefore, this segment is wrapped up. It's done. It, it was it was very gruesome. It was very in depth in some things, but I did try my I did try my 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 hardest to ensure that it was it was done in the most easiest way to metabolize and digest. So I hope that uh, it even though it was very gruesome, it was a bit easier to I did make it a bit easier. I hope I hope I did. So that's. That's where you get the co-ed killer from, folks. More on him when we do come back here on the infamous Slam Radio Sirius XM Channel 145. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. Slam Radio Sirius XM Channel 145. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information. Report the call at oig.ssa.gov. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's humble and perfect. She likes everyone. She even likes her untidy roommate's weird guinea pig. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Allison, no, that's the exact opposite of what I was just saying about you. Why, Allison, why? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm constantly failing, guys. I'm constantly learning. It's not how you fall, it's how you get back up. There's no losing, only learning. There's no failure, only opportunities. And there's no problems, only solutions. So to me, what failure is, failure is the mother of all success. But I really get motivated when people tell me it'll never happen. That, that to me is what makes me get up in the morning and go, what's next? I love people to tell me no. I love people to tell me don't, it won't, impossible. And uh, the word can't is the word can. And the word don't is the word do. And the word won't is the word one. And in the word impossible, it's possible. You tell them, you know, you know that, that all they can do is learn and come back bigger, better, stronger, because all it's going to do is lead you in the right direction. See, if you're always winning, then you don't really understand what it is to win. You, you got to take those losses. You got to take those hits. There's got to be the valleys, the peaks, the ups, the downs. In order for you to, when it does happen, you go, wow, you know, this is what it's all about. On behalf of all of us here at Slam Radio, we would like to thank you, Pitbull, for making this dream become a reality. Good morning, amigo. So that Never one makes back. a little more sense. Backwards, not even to get... How do you even, like... Well, hold on. That might be actually difficult to... Para atrás ni para coger impulso. Don't even go back a step, to, even if it's just to go forward. It seems Always like it's a long forward. explanation. Yeah, it's hard it to... It seems like you have to write... It sounds like two, 250 words. Explain this sentence. That phrase needs an instruction manual. <laughs> Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and... His camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. Slam Radio, Sirius XM, channel 145. Hello, everybody. This is the infamous on the final segment for today's episode. So, we already talked about Edmund Kemper and his childhood, his, his life essentially growing up. Then we talked about the murders he'd committed and... Um, some of the very interesting 
route he sort of went when it went to it. So now we're going to talk about some, just essentially just some life that he had while in prison. So something that's incredibly interesting that I don't think the people really realize is that while he was in prison, he would, um, he would record audiobooks. And many people praised him for the work that he did. So, when he was in jail at the California Medical Facility State Prison in Vacaville, California, um, he was a part of a prison program. And basically, Kemper would read thousands of books, which some are available to listen to online. And at one point, he was the head of the program. He and several other inmates would read books at the facility. He has received two trophies for his work and received praise from blind people all around the U.S. You see, that's just, that's something that you don't think you would hear about a serial killer. You just don't think that you would be like, oh yeah. Yeah, he's, he's praised. I just don't think you would hear that. Um, I thought that was very interesting, and I wanted to jump into that fact immediately because it's such. It is such an interesting fact that just like calls at your attention. It really is, and like it's unnecessarily interesting. I've never heard of that. That there was an inmate that was like, "Yep, I'm gonna just do audiobooks right now." And that they get trophies for it, head the program at their prison facility, and then they get praised by the blind community. Especially not somebody of the caliber of Edmund Kemper. Like it, it just it didn't cross my mind for some reason. But so for his trial and imprisonment and such, he was charged with eight counts of first degree murder. His trial went on first crimes in October of 1973. He was found guilty of all of the charges in early November. And when asked by the judge what he thought his punishment should be, Kemper said that he should be tortured to death. He instead received eight concurrent life sentences at present, Kemper serving his time at California Medical Facility in Vacaville. So, I already said that. It's, um... It is quite interesting, I will not lie to you. I will I will say that um it is beyond it is beyond interesting to hear about his crimes and essentially what he what he did. So not only was he awarded for audiobooks, which again is somewhat mind-boggling to me i don't i couldn't i couldn't explain why i think it's just really the thought process in my head a couple uh, another sort of fact is that um he was the inspiration behind the character buffalo bill in the film sons of the lambs um yeah i don't i couldn't I couldn't fully explain that one either, I'll be very honest, but it's, it's, um, it is, it is interesting, it is incredibly 
incredibly interesting. So, I will say, there has, there's, there's other stuff that has been talked about when it comes to Edmund Kemper, which is the help that he's had, or the help that he's given, better said, the help that he's given the FBI. So, really, to further elaborate on that, there's, um, during the 1970s, the FBI was conducting very interesting methods of trying to understand the psyche of a lot of violent and or just in general gruesome killings and the people that did them. So they went around talking to a few people. They talked to Ted Bundy in the 80s and they should have get the insights from Bundy. But they did talk to Edmund Kemper. And they talked to Edmund Kemper in the 70s. And so, again, they had this method of trying to figure things out and trying to understand the psyche a bit better. So they would go by visiting prisons and they would talk to very gruesome serial killers. And they did this so they can learn more about their motives. So they can learn about the sort of inner workings, if, if, if you will. Because at some point, they, they were really intrigued and they wanted to not necessarily psychoanalyze, but they wanted to dig deeper into it. They wanted to dissect what it was so they can understand how to combat it or how to maneuver it or how to essentially diagnose it before it becomes a full-blown serial killer and you have more issues, right? That's exactly sort of the ideal here. So, again, Kemper was one of the serial killers that they did meet up with. So, they genuinely enjoyed a lot of the interviews that they would have with how he spoke, not necessarily the actual, like, subject matter. Because, once again, he has a very high IQ. So he was very articulate with how he would explain things. And so he was very ideal in who you would have wanted to interview. So because of that, they, he provided a lot of insights on why certain offenders like that, like this commit the crimes that they do. And because of the interviews that they had with him, FBI agents were able to properly identify a lot of common characteristics and backgrounds that that serial killers share amongst each other, which we would have normally not even glanced about. So, for example, primarily, a main thing that a lot of serial killers do is that they torture animals as children. As I mentioned previously... Edmund Kemper, when he was 10, buried a cat alive to then dig it up and then decapitate and put its head on, 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 on a stick. He then later on killed the family cat with his, with his machete when he was 13. So he did this. And it's a shared characteristic that many f- foresee as a trait that is shared amongst people like this. Jeffrey Dahmer did very similar things. Not necessarily that he put a cat's head on a stick, but he he sort of played and mutilated and was very fond of the inside of animals. So you would look at it. So you see, like, there's their motives behind it change. So the reasoning behind why they do it is different. 
Edmund Kemper was because he wanted to see how things look like on a stick or on a stake. While, for example, Dahmer wanted to see what the insides looked like. He wanted to see how different they looked. If there was any difference. So there's, it's really the motive behind it changes a bit. But that is very niche to the person. If you understand the overall, which is what the FBI were trying to do, if you understand the overall of the person you're trying to find and the person that you're trying to understand, and then you get more into the specifics whenever you understand the overall, you are able to figure out a way to properly combat or a way to properly treat is how they were thinking. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because when you look at it now, the way the FBI is now... That's that's a part of the FBI that is so integral when you think about it, that they are consistently I'm get I I they're consistently psychoanalyzing and and figuring out, and nipping in the bud before something develops into more of a problem, and even then, it's 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 incredibly vast, and it's insane to think that Edmund Kemper helped out in this, like, endeavor for it. But it also, weirdly, makes a lot of sense. I don't- it- it makes a lot of sense, and it's so odd that it does. <laughs> so, continuing on, though, many people do sort of question, like, oh, why would Bundy, or why would Kemper want to help the police or the FBI? And it's not necessarily because they're like, I had a change of heart. Like, no. They know what they did was wrong. Some of them do. It, again, but like, for for this specific case, Kemper knew what he did was wrong. For crying out loud when he was 15, the reason why he killed his grandfather was so that his, he didn't see his dead wife murdered. So he understands that. But he doesn't have the the needed traits to really portray that or to really show that and he doesn't have that connection because he has a high score of psychopathy that's just that's it's just it just it worked hand in hand again i'm not it's 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 very interesting how that develops and how it it it, it coincides right so oftentimes the reason why people like Bundy and Kemper wanted to help the FBI was because serial killers like to relive the experience. Like, the more that the time passes and they're in jail, they know they don't have hope. They know that, like, they know they've been sentenced and they're not gonna make it. Like, they know that there's nothing that's really gonna happen from that. So if they have the possibility to be able to relive and be able to really, like, stroke their ego with talking about what they did, why they did it, how they did it. Um, essentially, like, oh, yeah, like, this is my childhood. I did that, I did this, and then this, and then that. Like, that is that is good for them. Because, again, a lot of people who have high psychopathy, some will also have a paired-up feeling of narcissism and they'll have like this whole like ah like they they feel important and powerful whenever they're able to do this. So no, Kemper wasn't rehabilitated when he was talking to the police because he knew what he did was wrong. He was very well 
understanding and very well aware that if he was released into, into society again, he would commit those crimes and he would be a threat. So, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. So, the FBI comes to talk to him about what, what he did, why he did it, how he did it. And it makes him feel like this very powerful very uh, it, it, not that it inflates him but it, it gives him this sense of validation and he doesn't really get that often when he's when he's a child remember his mother would belittle him, uh, belittle him abuse him so he was feeding off of the fact that like he had control over himself again and that people were essentially giving him the validation that he was that he was doing so it's it's very it's very interesting how that goes hand in hand. So you know they would just build, they build rapport with 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 Kemper, and it was it was it's it's, they have to know who they're working with, right? So they're like the way that they talk to Bundy is not gonna be the same way they talk to Kemper because they're two different people, and the way that they they process things and the way that they understand their surroundings is much different. So. The FBI was very clever with how they did this, where they talked to a lot of different types of them, a lot of different types of, of serial killers. Because, I mean, all of them are going to be gruesome one way or another. That's just how it is. It's death. It's untimely death. And it's it's death that's, that is it's beyond tragic. So all of them are going to be gruesome one way or another. But the way that they went about going around and... Um, and, and talking with with a lot of these uh, folks, it was beyond well played in their parts because they were able to fully understand something better than what they would have been able to if they were just you know sat silent on the sidelines like oh no we can just figure it out we're the FBI no like they actually did their work and they did it right in the mass of it where they would talk with these guys and that's that's terrifying. But it's also incredibly interesting. I will leave you with one final tidbit. Edmund Kemper is still alive today. He still resides in the California facility that he was put into after he was convicted for for the murders. He is currently 72 years old. He will most likely be seeing his 73rd birthday this year. And um, that's... That's all that I can say about Edmund Kemper. He's an incredibly intelligent man with a very impressive stature. He towers over the police officers that walk by him, which is insane to think of. I, I, I truly, I encourage you to look up Edmund Kemper and see... <laughs> and see the pictures of, this, of how he marvels next to a lot of the, the police officers. And Edmund Kemper is known very famously to be the co-ed killer. That's all for the infamous this week, folks, here on Sam Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 145.